Yo, 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 yo. Hello, kids. What's up? What's up? What's up? What's up? This is the most exciting thing you can listen to. Unless, of course, you like paying high prices for things like watches. I mean, who doesn't love great watches? But who wants to pay the price? And they keep going up and up and up and up and up. And that's what this show's all about. Collecting, buying at the right price, enjoying yourself, having a good time. Where, how about wearing the finest or one of the finest watches in the world on your wrist for not tons of money? And when you look at it and people go, oh, that costs a lot of money. You go, yeah, it does. But in the meantime, guess what? You didn't pay a lot. Because you're smart. Because you listen to this show. And I will tell you, without a doubt, Lee Jackson hates high prices. Absolutely. He hates high prices. He does. I can tell you that to be sure. You don't even have to think twice. I don't like high prices. This is America's finest watchman. Hello, 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 hello. Okay, well, we're going to do Rolex again today. Because everybody wants Rolex. Everybody wants to know what I think about Rolex as well. What do I think? Very fine watch. Hold on one second. Let me just adjust my mic one second. Okay. Thank you. Sorry for the noise. Um, everybody likes Rolex, but nobody wants to pay the big bucks, including me. So I'm here to tell you how to buy a Rolex and not pay the big bucks. I mean, you're going to have to pay some bucks, but not you know, full price, what they want. You can get yourself a much better deal if you know how to buy. And that's what the show's all about. Showing you how to enjoy yourself, getting things you want at the right price that you can afford and you can be happy. That's what it's all about. How hard is this? It's not. Okay. So today I think we should talk about Submariners. What happens if I want to buy a Submariner? What do I have to look at? What do I have to watch out for? What should I jump on? What kind of pricing should I pay? Okay, well, I'm going by what subs were. So you can call me living in the past if you want. But, you know, we I have tons and tons of Submariners go through me. And they were everything from very old to very modern. And they were very inexpensive to very expensive. There's all different ones. So what we're going to try to decipher today is what to buy, what to pay, so on and so on. Let's see what we can do. Okay, so you know what the Submariner is? It came out in the 50s. It was one of the first diving automatic water-resistant watches on the market, especially luxury, definitely. And if you look in some of the early James Bond movies, I think Goldfinger, he's wearing it. But James Bond wears a Submariner without a crown guard. You know what a crown guard is? It's the part that comes up from the case and surrounds the crown, kind of protects it. Well, in the early days, they didn't have those on there. They had no crown guard. And if you look at the Tudors, some of the Tudors have no crown guard too. They want it to look different. And what does that do? Just protects the crown so it doesn't get demolished. Okay, so do you want an old one? Do you want a newer one? Do you want sapphire crystal? Do you want plastic crystal? Do you want two-tone, gold, stainless? There's a million variations. So let's try to figure it out. 
what do they go for new? I know they're getting big money for them. That I do know for sure. Big, big bucks. Now, can I see? I'm trying to see what they're, I'm trying to see what they're going for new. And I don't know if I have the time to waste because I want to, I want to keep on this with you guys. Um, so I really don't want to spend a ton of time. Oh my God. Their Rolex is so expensive. Submariner is a James Bond Submariner, 75,000. <coughs> wow. All I can say is, whoa. I didn't know they're making them now in white gold. That's really neat. I haven't seen a Submariner in white gold. That's one I have not seen. Um, I've seen them in gold. I've seen them in two tones. They have the fancy dials you can get on them. Now they have the green uh, bezels that are now real popular. I remember when they came out, I thought they were hideous. Personally, I thought it was ugly, but they're big. And I always said that Rolex should make the Submariner in blue, and now they do because everybody copied the sub. All these cheap Chinese, Japanese companies and garbage companies that came out with their own version of Submariners. Uh, there's a jillion of them, and most of them um are crap they're garbage they're not anywhere near what the real rolex submariner is i mean the real sub is something else plus it didn't come in all the colors that all these knockoffs come in red and blue and green and this and that but rolex has gotten smart over the years and they started coming out with different colors for their submariners so there is a blue dial now i see it a lot it's beautiful uh, there's a blue bezel, which I never saw before. It used to be just blackface, stainless steel with a black bezel or two-tone. And you can get a surty dial, which I'm going to talk about. I love surty dials on these things. Okay, so they call it a blueberry. Is a, I guess there's two sizes. There's the 40 millimeter and the 41 millimeter. And what the difference is, I couldn't tell you if I tried. All I know is I'm seeing very, very expensive prices on these dumb things. $50,000, $60,000. Submariners have gone completely loco. I mean, I'm trying to get an idea what they go for new, but this is not helping me at all. Um, okay, so there's two kinds of Submariners. There's the Submariner with a date, Submariner without a date. Okay, and those of you that are going, who cares? Well, the one without the date is a little cheaper. So if you want to get, you want to save some money, you might think about a non-date Rolex Submariner. I don't see a lot of them either. I'm looking. I really don't see tons of them. But let's go to the bottom of the pack. Um, I can get you some info on the Rolex Sub. Let me see what I can dig up. Because I really would like to know when they exactly came out, what their sizes were. Um yeah, let's let's see what I can come up with. Okay, here we go. Let's see what I can come up with for you guys. Oh, good. Okay, let's take a look. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to Rolex's own website to look this up. It came out in 1953. It was the first diver's wristwatch waterproof to a depth of 330 feet, 100 meters. Uh, the Oyster case was pretty rare, came out in 1926, and then it set the standard for divers' watches in 1953. Now they have Submariners that go down to 1,000 feet, and they have the Deep Sea, which goes even further. So the new Submariners now are 41 millimeters. What the original ones were, I don't know. But uh, we're going to figure it out, I can tell you that. Okay, so 
this was set up as a diver's watch. So when you look at older submariners, they're not there to be pretty. They're not there to be cool. They were used functionally as a diver's watch. And that's what, like I watch Antiques Roadshow and they come up with these old Submariners and old Daytonas and they were used by people that were divers and pilots and whatever. That's why they bought them and they bought them on a base and they didn't pay much money. Now they're worth tons and tons of money. So just realize that when you go backwards, they're not going to be as fancy. So they went to a 41 millimeter oyster case, luminescent hour markers, unidirectional rotatable bezel, with Saracrome Crom insert and oyster bracelet. What does that mean? It means the insert that's on the bezel, the part with the numbers, the black and the numbers, it's made of a ceramic now. So it doesn't scratch as easy as the old bezel inserts. It comes off. You can change them. Like if yours wears, you can get one, put it in. Um, let's see. So they have our markers in simple shapes so that you can see it underwater. No confusion, because if you had confusion underwater, it could be deadly. Not a great idea. So what it is, is a functional watch for divers. It's got a 60-minute graduation on the bezel that allows a diver to monitor diving time and decompression stops accurately and safely. It's made by Rolex from a hard corrosion-resistant ceramic. It's scratch proof and its color is unaffected by ultraviolet rays, seawater or water that is chlorinated. That's a biggie because the old ones did. Um, so the new case is 300 meters. It's waterproof guaranteed and it provides their high precision movement with optimal protection from water, dust, pressure and shocks. The trip lock winding crown fitted with a triple waterproofness system screws down securely against the case, ensuring watertight security. The crown, you push it in, you turn it. It's like a screw. It catches and it stops when it's screwed in and it keeps the water out, which is extremely important. I mean, how much important does it have to be? The Submariner's unidirectional rotatable bezel has knurled edges that offer excellent grip when setting the dive time. So it's got little notches in the bezel. It rotates notch by notch, accompanied by distinctive clicks. It can use, be used in underwater dark environments too. Um, the oyster bracelet. So now here's the bracelet. In the old days, they had a riveted oyster bracelet or it was on a strap, like a canvas strap. If you watch James Bond movies, the early ones with Sean Connery, he's wearing it. It's on a strap. It's not on a bracelet. But they added the bracelet. And the bracelet originally was riveted and it was hollow links and it was lousy. I mean, they didn't know it at the time, but, you know, 20, fast forward 20, 30, 40, 50 years and they don't hold up. Uh, then they went to what's called a foldover class, which I absolutely cannot stand. There's no screws or pins. You have these little keys that come out of the link itself and lock the link in. And I don't like that one at all. I stay away from any kind of foldover clasp in a bracelet. I think they're awful. Uh, the new ones are the heavy oyster link, which is a heavy link that's solid with a screw or a pin. I think it's a screw on these that goes through and holds it in. Um, it has a safety clasp, which prevents accidental opening. And it has an extension system called glide lock, allowing fine adjustments to the bracelet without using any tools so it can worn comfortably over a diving suit. That's what that extra piece that pulls out of the bracelet link of the, the, 
buckle, there's like an extra piece that comes out and it expands the band to be a little longer. That's for divers. So you open that up, you put it over your wetsuit and it'll hold because if you left it in, it'd be too tight because now your wrist is tighter because you've got everything on your wrist. You've got a wetsuit, you've got stuff under it. This makes up for that. So that's a really nice feature. And I see that also on cheap uh, Rolex knockoffs on some, and it's really pathetic. Their system is so terrible. The movement is a 3230 or 3235. Um, they're self-winding mechanical movements developed and manufactured by Rolex. Their architecture, manufacturing, and innovative features make them singularly precise and reliable. Okay, so let's talk about being waterproof. Rolex was one of the first waterproof watches. At the beginning of the 20th century, the pocket watch was the most common, practical way for people to tell the time. That's true. They didn't have wristwatches. Hans Wilsdorf, who began his career in 1900 working for a watch company in Le Chateau de Fonds, observed how lifestyles were changing and particularly the rise of popularity of sports and outdoor pursuits. The man who was to found Rolex a few years later realized the pocket watches, which had to be protected within the folds of clothing, were not suited to these new kinds of use. An enterprising man of vision, he decided he would create watches to be worn on the wrist and their owners could count on for reliability and accuracy in their modern active lives. Sounds like us, doesn't it? Can you imagine in today's society and environment wearing a pocket watch? If you drop it, it's a goner. If you hit it, it's a goner. I mean, they have to keep it in your pocket for a reason, to protect it. One of the main challenges facing Hans Wilsdorf was to find a way to protect the watches from dust and moisture, which can cause clogging or oxidation if they find their way inside the case. In a letter in 1914, he spoke of his intentions uh, to, I can't even pronounce it, A-Glair, A-E-G-L-E-R, the firm in Bien, Switzerland, which would later become the manufacturer of Montreux Rolex SA. So we must find a way to create a waterproof wristwatch. So in 1922, Rolex launched the Submarine, a watch attached on a hinge inside a second outer case whose bezel and crystal screwed down to make the outer case watertight. Accessing the crown required opening the outer case. The Submarine marked the first step in Hans Wilsdorf's efforts to create a completely sealed watch case that was convenient to use. This is very, very significant, this development. I'm telling you, everybody uses it now. The Oyster case was Patented four years later in 1926, a system of screwing down the bezel, case back and winding crown against the middle case ensured the case was hermetically sealed and protected the inside of the watch from har harmful elements on the outside. Mr. Wilsdorf chose to choke, excuse me, Mr. Wilsdorf, cho thank you, chose to call the watch as well as the case oyster because the fact like an oyster could remain an unlimited time underwater without detriment to its part. This invention marked a major breakthrough in the history of watchmaking. To promote the exceptional qualities of the Oyster watch, the following year, Hans Wilsdorf decided to do something innovative. Learning that Mercedes Glitz, a young secretary from Brighton, England, was preparing to swim across the English Channel, and if successful, would become the first British woman ever to achieve this feat, he asked her to carry an Oyster with her to demonstrate that the watch was completely waterproof. After her grueling swim in the bitterly cold waters, a journalist for the Times newspaper reported she carried a small gold watch, which was found to have kept good time throughout. 
So she set the record. It was an Oyster watch. It doesn't look anything like we have today, by the by. It had wire lugs. It was definitely old, older looking, but very cool. Um, so it was patented in 1926. It's composed of a bezel, case back, winding crown, a screw down against the middle case. These components have undergone changes over time to further reinforce the watch's waterproofness and to meet the needs of divers as diving materials and techniques developed, allowing them to descend to even, even greater depths. So when you look at the case, it actually is like uh, a few parts, not a lot. The bezel was fluted, allowing it to be screwed down onto the middle case using a tool exclusive to Rolex. In following years, the architecture of the Oyster case evolved to become more robust and reliable. The technical changes brought to the case also make it possible for the rotatable bezel to be fitted on divers' watches in particular. The back of the case was edged with a fine fluting as it still is today, enabling it to be screwed down hermetically against the middle case. On current divers' watches, it's either steel or 18 karat gold the back. The crown on the original Oyster case screwed down the middle case in 1953. Rolex introduced the twin lock winding crown, which incorporated a patented system with a double seal. The principle was taken a step further in 1970. The winding crown comprising an additional sealed zone reinforced the waterproofness of the watch. Among them, its models designed for diving. Oh, so there you go. Um, here's a good one. Just as changing lifestyles prompted Rolex to invent a waterproof case, the brand next turned its attention to the design and development of wristwatches that met the needs of the new deep-sea diving professionals. In 1953, the Submariner was created, the first diver's wristwatch, guaranteed waterproof to 330 feet. Its rotatable bezel with a graduated insert allowed divers to monitor their time underwater, helping them manage their breathing gas reserved. The security of the Oyster case was enhanced thanks to a new screw-down winding crown with the twin-lock system befitting from two sealed zones. Now, if you look at watches, Rolex is from the 50s. Some of the crowns say Super Oyster on them and they don't screw down. They're a regular. They look like a Rolex crown, but they're regular. They don't screw down. And that was a system they tried to, without screwing the crown down and it didn't hold up. So if you ever find Rolexes from the 50s that say Super Oyster on them, don't get them wet. They will leak. It was not a good system. Not, not at least to hold up for years and years and years. Maybe at the time it was okay. But, you know, fast forward 50, 60 years. No, it's not a good idea. Not a good system at all. So the ones you want are the ones that screw down, which most of them do. Um, the hands and the hour markers were coated with luminescent material, enabling, enabling divers to read the time in the dark and conditions underwater. They went to 200 meters in 1954, which is 660 feet, 300 meters in 1989. The version with date introduced in 1969 would be waterproof to a depth of 300 meters, 1,000 feet by 1979. Um, aware of mutual benefit to both parties and seeing the world as a living laboratory, Hans Wilsdorf equipped them on their expeditions with oyster watches to test the reliability of its timepieces. Rolex asked professional divers to wear them on their missions. Afterwards, gathering impressions and suggestions for ergonomic or technical improvements, the procedure became an integral part of the Rolex, Rolex development process. Among the people 
<clears throat> that uh, worked to test the Submariner was French underwater photographer, engineer, and explorer Dmitry Rebikov. In testing the watch over five months, Rebikov carried out 132 dives, which took him to depths of between 12 and 60 meters, which is times three, so that's 36 to 180 feet. And his report was positive. We were able to confirm this watch was not only given entire satisfaction in diving conditions, which were extremely tough and particularly dangerous for the material used, but that it has proved an indispensable accessory for all diving with independent equipment. He particularly highlighted the usefulness of the graduated rotatable bezel, which considerably increased diver safety by enabling them to check the amount of time they spend underwater. He also underlined the robustness of the watch, which spent, which spent many hours in seawater and received several impacts in the course of the dives. In 1960, Rolex teamed up with Jacques Picard, who was an oceanographer and U.S. Navy Lieutenant Don Walsh, on January 23rd, 1960, on board the Bathysphere, Bathyscape Trieste, designed by Jacques' father, August Picard, a Swiss physicist and explorer with whom Rolex had worked since the early 50s. <clears throat> Picard and Walsh, Walsh achieved a feat by descending the deepest part of the world's oceans, the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean. Attached to the outside of the submersible was an experimental Rolex watch called the Deep Sea Special, which accompanied the two men to the extreme depth of 10,000 meters. That's 35,000 feet. The dome crystal on this prototype was designed to withstand enormous pressure at such a depth. Depth. When the Trieste resurfaced after some eight and a half hours under the sea, the watch was found to have kept perfect time which validated the technical choices made by the brand during its design. It would be decades before any such expedition would be repeated. So they came up with a watch called a Sea Dweller, and I've had a lot of them. And they're like a Submariner, but they're thicker, and they go deeper, and they have a helium valve on them. That's how you can tell. So they came up with new uh, gases so that people could dive at even greater depths. They had special breathing gases with high helium makes it possible for divers to stay under the sea for periods of several days or even weeks and avoid the toxic effects on the human body of pressure grape depths. It also involves keeping the divers in an environment with a pressure equivalent to that of the water at their working depth. To do this, the divers stay for several days or weeks at a time in a pressurized habitat, a hyperbaric chamber, which they leave only to carry out their dives. It only means that they need to undergo a single Decompression process at the end of the mission. Depending on the time spent underwater and the working depth, decompression can take anywhere up to several days. In the hyperbaric chambers, the watches worn by the divers gradually fill with helium, a gas with atoms so tiny they can penetrate the waterproof seals. During decompression, this helium remains trapped in the watch case with the attendant risk of creating a pressure differential in relation to the chamber. The gas in the watch case is unable to escape as quickly as the external pressure is dropping, which can damage the watch or force the crystal out of the case. In 1967, Rolex patented the helium escape valve, a safety release valve that activates automatically when the pressure inside the case is too high, allowing the surplus gas to escape. So you don't have to do anything. Same year, Rolex launched the Sea Dweller, a diver's watch guaranteed to 2,000 feet and to 4,000 feet in 19, that's weird, guaranteed waterproof to 2,000 feet and to 4,000 feet in 1978. Oh, okay, so the, they did a later one. The first one was 2,000 feet, the second one was 4,000. 
So you go down 4,000, probably kill you to go down that low, but yeah, they all had the helium escape valve and it was the ideal tool for saturation divers, the explorers and pioneers of the deep sea. The brand partnered with underwater habitat project Tektite in 1969 for which four aquanauts spent 58 days be below the surface. They were equipped with Rolex watches. The following year, as part of Tektite II, Sylvia Earle led an all-female mission. The marine biologist, a Rolex testimony since 1982, National Geographic Society Explorer in Residence from 1999, wore a Rolex watch during the two weeks spent working a sub-aquatic habitat. Um, okay, so they do all this stuff. I mean, we could go completely nuts. There's a record of, there. here's an ad from Rolex. <clears throat> I wonder what year this is from. <coughs> Excuse me. It says they can go five at a record 520 meters deep. The sea dweller is still in its element. Oh, here it is. 1971 Rolex formalized this partnership with Comex, French marine engineering firm based in Marseille. And all their divers had Rolex watches and had to report regularly on the watch's performance. So the brand could enhance their reliability and functionality. In parallel to its offshore inventions, Comex also conducted tests in view of developing new technologies to assist its operation. Among those were hyperbaric chambers that reproduced the pressure, yada, 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 yada. Okay, whatever. Uh, we don't want to bore you with all the hyperbole. Rolex continues to defy underwater pressure by never ceasing to perfect its watches. In 2008, the brand presented the Rolex Deep Sea. That's a new one. It used to be called the Sea Dweller, now it's the Deep Sea, whose patented case architecture, the ring lock system, enables it to withstand pressure at depth of 3,900 meters, 12,800 feet. That is unbelievable. The system comprises a slightly domed sapphire crystal, a nitrogen alloyed steel compression ring, and a case made back from titanium. The bezel of the deep sea is fitted with a 60-minute graduated bezel and black insert that they can safely monitor their immersion time. Uh, and they have special luminosity on the dial so you can see it better. I mean, it's a big watch. Remember, this thing is really thick. It's not like a sub. It's like double the thickness. So you want a big, heavy watch. This thing is it. It's cool. All Rolex divers and watches are tested at their guaranteed waterproofness depth plus an additional 25%. This means that the laboratory uh, within a hyperbaric tank developed jointly by Rolex and Comex, the deep sea is subject to pressure at 4875, 4875 meters deep, which is unbelievable. Um, huh. March 2012, attached to a manipular arm of the submersible piloted by explorer and filmmaker James Cameron, descended to the place last visited by Jack Picard and Don Walsh in 1960, the Mariana Trench. And it withstood pressure. Their watch, what did he have? Uh, it was the deep sea, and it withstood the pressure up to 15,000 meters, which is pretty amazing, really. So not only is Rolex a great watch, Rolex has a history like you cannot believe. I'm telling you, Rolex is amazing when you think about it. I know everybody thinks, oh, Rolex is such a great watch. It is, but it also 
has a really fantastic history that has really been around. I mean, Rolex just makes phenomenal watches and they're functional. All their watches, people don't realize what they names of them mean. So they, Oh, look at that. They have, they have a sea dweller and they have the deep sea. So they're, too, they're still making both. Okay. So the sea dweller is 43 millimeter, which is pretty big. And they have a deep sea is 44 millimeters. It's a little bit larger. Then they have the deep sea challenge, which is made from titanium. It's 50 millimeters. Holy mackerel. That is a big watch. 50 millimeters is huge on your wrist. Like wearing a brick, but people love it. That's the thing. People dig it. They love this stuff. I don't know why, but they do. So they keep wearing them and they keep enjoying them. So we're going to talk more about Rolex Submariners next episode. I want to give you the background on them. I mean, everybody knows what they are. Every company has copied them. Everybody's got a version of the Submariner in their, in their uh, product line. I mean, they really do. It's amazing. If you see all the knockoffs that look like Submariners, there's hundreds of companies doing it. Hundreds. The one that I like the best is the Javril, of course. That's a good quality uh, Submariner-looking watch. Not exactly the same thing, but pretty close. And has a good movement, too. And uh, the only reason I'm not wearing my my Javril, it's called a Wall Street, is because I am still locked on to my 2710. Not Javril, I'm sorry. Gerard Pergo. My 2710 has not left my wrist, and I can't tell you how long now. It's really been, I've been wearing it a long time. So we got to go. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so 